you are listening to Oblivion. It's May 24th, 2021. Yep, it's kind of a current conditions in the central Kentucky area are rather, rather warm, upper 80s. Low humidity, though. Pretty comfortable in the shade. And, um... Oh, you say the humidity is low? Yeah, it's fairly low. It doesn't feel mug- muggy, really. It's rancid uh, down here. Oh. <laughs> You're on the wrong side of the high, I'd say. Yep. Well, uh, let's see. What should we start with this week? Yeah. Uh, what about Gaza? Humanitarian crisis in Gaza? Yeah. Uh, let's start with the good news first. I didn't know there was any good news, but uh, actually, I'm 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 kidding. Uh, I I do honestly feel better about things than uh, honestly I can remember. Anyway, good news. Let's let's go for it. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, the Gaza thing is obviously the bad news. Um, I mean, of course, it's, uh, there was a ceasefire. I guess it's held. Uh, But, uh, of course, they pounded the shit out of Gaza yet again. Basically, well, they're called mowing the lawn in the sort of uh, gross, uh, terminology that the Israelis use. Dehumanizing. Uh, yeah, the dehumanizing language. Uh, of course, they don't use that in a diplomatic sense, but uh, the general term. So, you know, they go in and, well, one part of it is they, it, basically they use Gaza as an experimental tool for their weapons. So, you know, for instance, they'll use these hideously illegal phosphorus, or should be illegal, but probably in the U.S. is the only War should be illegal. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the whole, yeah, right. So the whole basis of, um, of the argument is, you know, none of it should be happening. So, uh, yeah, but as far as their little experiment, uh, they use the Gazans to use their white phosphorus uh, bombs that, I don't know. I think they like throw out huge chunks of flaming phosphorus that just burns through everything that it touches and just doesn't stop burning you know, for a long time. So it burns through floors and if it gets on your skin. Of course, it burns right through you. And, uh, you know, good stuff like that. You know, kind of humanitarian things like uh, smart bombs like uh, napalm, you know. Uh, right. they'll, they'll be using that, you know, like they're new, improved version of napalm. But, uh, and of course, these bunker buster things they used to take down the towers, they, that was obviously a, you know, experiment. Yeah. Let's test these bombs out on real buildings, you know. Uh, Got to get that skill under our belt. And the only responsible thing to do. Yeah. yeah we wouldn't want to use untested bombs. Yeah, that I mean, might be unethical. There was a terrorist baby that was asleep in the top upper floor, so we had to take the whole damn thing down before that thing grew up and became a terrorist. Proactive. 
So uh, what is the humanitarian crisis, I assume, is because they've, well, they've been basically on a starvation diet and nothing can get, you know, in and out hardly. Uh, they managed to smuggle some stuff in. Uh, but uh, as far as any kind major of... Major infrastructure damage. Yeah, there's major infrastructure damage. And there's also just, there wasn't much to start with, you know. Right. All of industry that, you know, Gaza has no industry uh, because they just can't give me raw materials or motors or a whole long list of things. It's basically a blockade that's been on since, I think, 07. Uh, yeah. And and what they have, they, they probably have to spend it on preparing to get bombed. <laughs> yeah, I mean... They've really improved their quote rocket technology, meaning uh, uh, Palestinians are. It's always a tribute to Hamas, but it could be uh, just whatever the the violent retaliators. Um, I mean, there's still uh, dumb bombs, right? I mean, right, as, right. As if there is such a thing. Uh, I mean, they, they went from say like a sort of like a firework with a grenade on the end. So now they're actually like a fairly big tube uh, that can go pretty long distance, but still with no act, no aiming, right? So you just kind of mm-hmm. aim it at an angle and it just shoots out there. You know, no targeting goes on. Uh, so it's, it's just totally unproportional, not proportional as far as the violent, quote, violent uh, part of the whole deal was. Concern, but you know, what, what, does that in any way compare? Or, I mean, first of all, Israel—it's a legal occupation, so her, their whole uh, dealings, as far as the Palestine is concerned, is everything they do is illegal. Mm-hmm. And just because the Palestinians are defending themselves, that you have a right to defend yourself against an aggressor. I mean, that's a basic international law. Aggressive war is illegal, but defending yourself against the illegal crime, that is legal, right? So really, when you look at it that way, these rockets are perfectly legal uh, in the international war, whatever, uh, laws. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, there. I think there's definitely a, definitely a shift and language and and people's awareness um, about it, uh, I think that's improved. It's obviously a long way from improving the attitude of the powerful, like the Biden administration. That's the buck stops there, really, when it comes down to whether or not this should be going on. Uh, I mean, all, all the president would have to do is say. Yeah, I'm sorry, but we're just going to withhold because he has the right to do this. We're going to withhold your uh, uh, your aid, you know. Right, like, and to, stop to this right now, you know. And, and credit to Bernie Sanders, uh, he has said that that's what we should do. We should quit mm-hmm. selling arms to to Israel. Right. Yeah. And we should quit selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Indeed. I mean, it's just uh, I. I mean, I do my best to give people the benefit of the doubt, to give them a break, but it is not that hard to understand 
you know, our economy revolves around arms dealing. And in addition to the wars that we directly execute, we send these weapons to these people so that they can kill other people. We make, so we are the ones who are doing it because if it weren't for our weapons, this couldn't be happening. And, and I'm, I am tired of people pretending that this doesn't happen and, and that it's, it's a non-issue because it's just something that we accept like a bunch of psychopaths. Yeah, and it's just, it is not acceptable. It is not acceptable. And it, it, and it destroys all of the uh, arguments and, and protests against things like the former president who came before Biden and uh, these other movements that say, you know, violence against whatever group is wrong but until we can say violence is wrong period and war is wrong it's it just falls flat it's just uh it's too much uh being on the fence like people want to they they want to have a revolution and they also want to keep the status quo Yeah, so that's a, a good transition to the uh, meaninglessness of the January 6th commission. Right. Like, let me just, uh, why do we need a commission? Like, the whole nation, the whole world saw it. It happened on television. We know what happened. Well, um, I, I sort of disagree with you there because... We don't know what, I, I guess right. the problem, yeah, I mean, um, the problem with it, I think, um, maybe, uh, as far as I see it, is it'll be kind of like these impeachment things, where it's kind of a limited hangout. Uh, they won't be asking the important questions in this commission, uh, mm-hmm. right? It'll just be like, a, you know, let's blame the Republicans, I'm sure, it would be the whole sort of tone of the thing instead of like uh, questioning out know, why, you know, what happened to all the fucking cops? What happened to all this, these troops that, you know, are constantly right. supposed to be there. Right. Uh, suddenly they just, uh, everybody was off that day. Um, right. And all you would have to do is just juxtapose images of the protests outside the, the Capitol and the white house in the summer of 2020 with the Black Lives Matter movement, how many cops did they have there? I mean, there was an army, right? Yeah. And then, and I know they'll say, yeah, but there were more people um, there than on the January 6th. Uh, there were a shitload there. Right. But it's uh, th- there were still a lot of people there on yeah. January 6th. So it was right. clearly just another example of they knew what was going to happen. And they basically wanted it to happen, and and they uh, they pretended to have some security there just so it didn't totally look like it was uh, it was allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you have to be careful about 
trying to painstakingly line everything up and and dot every i and cross every t in something in something like this because you know how exactly did it get started and you can't say that uh, that president trump was the one responsible you can't you know pin this on the republicans and it's like of course you can i mean that who was saying that the election was a steal who was saying stop the the, the steal who was saying stop the steal or say that five times fast um <laughs> We, it, it's, that's what I think is kind of pointless about it. Like, what are we really, in, in that sense, I'm agreeing with you about the in, in impeachment. It's just, it'll be, a, it'll be a process. It'll be uh, uh, split down the middle, uh, go through the motions. Uh, it'll be split along partisan lines. And, and you just wonder what's going to become of it. But one of the most outrageous things that I've read about this is that the majority of the people who participated in that insurrection, and it was an, an insurrection, it was not just simply a riot or trespassing, most of them um, won't face any uh, serious charges and, and won't do any jail time. How can, how can that be possible? And again, that's the politics that the, the, the people in power wanted this to happen. Whenever, whenever, things, whenever the, the lunging to, to the right uh, begins to um, begins to stall, uh, everything has to uh, get shaken up, and you've got to put a scare into people. If they even think, you know, we're going to take power away from these uh, right wing extremists, and we're going to start doing things differently. Uh, so it's just uh, what's going to become of it and really why do we need it you know and it's just it's this kind of tame formal way of dealing with something that is uh extremely uh emotional and there's there's no way that the the outcome of the commission is i think is going to uh uncover any significant unknown facts and i just don't know what uh, actions or or processes are going to unfold after this commission takes it takes effect unless i'm missing something well yeah i don't it'll be a limited hangout i don't think it's even going to happen right supposedly like the senate it's not even because of of course they'll they won't really fight for it, so they have to get the sixty people right or whatever filibuster thing kicks in. So it's their cover. Uh, you know, the, we, the we, job we tried. Must be to be a, a democratic <laughs> senator because you never have to do anything. Like you you have this playbook for how. You can always say that you want to do things and you're trying to do things, but then you never really have to do something. It's a waste, right? It's, it's just yet another good reason never you, to vote Democrat. Have you heard anything from, uh, you know, I think it's been a couple months now since I mentioned uh, uh, Schumer was his language. And what? And what, yeah, yeah. 
as uh, right. And that's that a bit exactly. And so, have we heard any uh, peep about it since? Nope. Nope. In fact, I was just reading an article last night about uh, how there are some people who are really pushing to uh, change the policies so that the marijuana businesses can use banks, right? And then toward the end of the article, it says, uh, but Chuck Schumer doesn't want to do that because he's interested in, in changing the, the, federal regu- the federal laws. And it's like, why can't you do both? Like between now and the end of time, the, the, the next eon between now and when they will finally get around to, to changing the, the federal laws, why not go ahead and, and make it uh, where you can do uh, business with the banks, uh, where the, the, the pot dispensaries can do business with the banks? But then I have to, I, I want to return to the, the point that I've made about this in the past, which is the message that's repeated is the message. The message that gets through is the message that's repeated. You can't just simply say something once and then it never comes up again for another month awash in all the other things that we're hearing about and say that you stand for this or that you you want this. And and I said a month ago, two months ago, whenever uh, uh, Schumer was in the news saying that they really want to do this, it's like the thing to look for is do they keep talking about it every week, every day? We're going to do this. You know, we're going to do this. And of course, th- th- they don't. And it's, if, if we get to summer and then we get through the summer and nothing's happened, it won't be long before um, it, the 2022 will be approaching. And then, of course, it'll be all about midterms and then absolutely nothing will, will happen again. And then as soon as midterms are over, it'll all be about We've got to get uh, Joe Biden reelected and we've got to keep him in there. And uh, we don't want uh, Trump or someone worse to, to come back. And, uh, and so it's just uh, it's just a waste. And, and that's why I had that uh, that Valentine's Day deadline on um, if, if if they if they didn't uh, federally legalize uh, pot. Um, I, that was it for me with the Democrats. And I feel more uh, confident and self-assured in, in that decision uh, than, than I have since, since I made it. Uh, and I, I know what's going to happen. The, the, the vaccine rollout, uh, I think I, I read something where 60% of Americans have gotten at least one shot. And um, We keep waiting for that that hurricane that Osterholm talked about, and I think we're definitely past the window now when that was going to happen. And I keep looking for cases on the rise, like I thought Michigan might be getting out of control. And and I think that there was was maybe a mini surge, but... It's, I mean, it's undeniable. Like, I mean, ev- the numbers are really going down. I mean, I think we're at a one-year low for everything. And, of course, the answer is pretty simple. It's called science, right? The thing that Americans hate, that they'll not listen to, that they'll fight and, and reject and just despise the, the scientists, you know, whoever she or he is. Um, 
and it works because well, science is knowledge. It comes from the, the Latin scare, which means to know. I mean, maybe it's just conformity, uh, but it's a good kind of conformity. Uh, I'm I'm sort of surprised at how um, the vaccination levels have kind of remained fairly high. They're still up close to two million a day. Uh, I I thought for sure they would just drop like a rock once it started clearing up, like it has. But it seems like a um. Yeah, there's something if going Jim on there. If Bob gets vaccinated, then then maybe John Boy will too. <laughs> yeah, there's that element, and and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it may be more dire. Uh, well, it's it's definitely people see that the vaccine is like no big deal for one thing, right? They don't see people like getting sick, and uh, you know, you've you've got the hardcore people. Uh, that are and have been anti-vax, but, you know, a long time. Like the, uh, gosh, what's her name? Oh, the, the head one. I forget her name. Uh, used to date or be married to Jim Carrey. But anyway, these kind of anti-vax people that say it'll give your kid autism. And, you know, it's all right, not true, but but they're you know uh, convinced that impurities or whatever else, no matter what, is always going to be bad for you. So you've got you've got that type, and you you also have the religious, you know, types that uh, uh, are another form of religion. I, I guess the new agey types are sort of religious thing, right? Because <laughs> it's not based on facts or or truth, really. Um, fantasy land, but the, then you have the Christian scientists and uh, et cetera. You don't take any drugs because it's God told me not to. And uh, Dick 5, verse 7. Uh, but, <laughs> so anyway, um, <clears throat> but yeah, just looking at the numbers as far as that's concerned, I feel awful about that too. I was a little worried. Um, of course. Course, I agree with you now. It's just it just keeps going steadily down, and at this rate, let, let's see uh, if it. Uh, surely, it's not going to keep going like this. But it's been a real steady decline, and so let's say that that's it's down to twenty five thousand seven day average, uh, twenty five thousand cases a day. So, and, and but that man, that still sounds like a lot. I know it's not yeah, relatively yeah. speaking, but yeah. Right, compared to all of those, yeah. Um, so it was the 20, say approximately a month, it dropped down 25,000, 50,000 to now 25,000. Uh, so if it just kept going, it would go to zero in a month. Um, uh, I would guess it's going to start leveling off, uh, but it may not. It may just suddenly peter out. You know, it's like, okay, the, the virus has gotten, this can't spread if too few people are available. Right. It's running out of um, people to, to infect. You know, uh-huh. it, it, it can't be communicable when either uh, everybody's got natural immunity or they've got a vaccine. It just can't. Mm-hmm. It's being shut down. Shut down. That's, that's, uh, do you think, uh, tell me what you think about this, that in any event, 
I think right now and like the upcoming summer, at least is going to be a window where things should be pretty positive and safe. Now, what I am a little bit worried about is what's going to happen in the fall and winter. And if, um, if we need boosters, you know, what if the vaccine uh, is only really going to be good for a year? You know, then, then uh, I know I would be kind of uh, worried. I mean, let's say I was vaccinated in April. Well, I mean, by the time February comes around, uh, I'll start to be uh, quite worried about. Uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm still worried. It's gonna it's gonna take a while before I go gone. out and do things and and not even think about it. <clears throat> but um, if if there is a limitation to the uh, duration of of the vaccine what's going to happen when uh when that the a year passes and that time comes around yeah. but for now man i uh i think i'm good on being worried <laughs> yeah yeah you've I mean, uh enough yeah you're you're um you're uh let's see your your curve is is not only flattening but it's dropping down a similar rate as far as warning you've spent you've got your immunity levels up from warring so much for the last year plus um, yeah I mean the numbers are getting pretty low and, and another thing that may be positive down the road we'll see I think it's it would be good if, if people did did like the Asians I think this is gonna occur uh, uh, that there'll be more mask wearing like during flu season because it got so much into the culture. I think people will really, you'll see a lot more of that. That's possible that it's actually a, a, a excellent hypothesis because it, it's easily testable. And, and also there's, um, there are, I think are good reasons to, to think that it could go either way. My guess is that in places like New York City and people are uh, riding subways, yeah, yeah. that you, you will see mask wearing become uh, integrated or normalized mm-hmm. in the yeah. culture. But, but the other thing is there was such a zany and, and goofy outrage at wearing a mask that I think in much of the country, the opposite is likely to happen that uh to go back to my the you know inverted counterculture that we're going to see mask burning parties right instead of the you know women burning their bras we're all gonna look i saw we're we're all gonna have uh mask burning parties i saw a post on derby day for crying out loud where the person was saying hallelujah no one is wearing masks what is the big deal about not wearing a mask? How can you, of all the things to be excited about, I mean, what I want to hear is hallelujah, like the coronavirus is dead. Like it doesn't exist anymore. It's been, it's been suppressed. It's been uh, destroyed. 
on the I mean, that, that's what I would feel good about. Um, we're not wearing masks. So I, I think, uh, and uh, Seattle and uh, San, like San Francisco has 76% herd immunity. So I mean, you could go to San Francisco and be safe. Uh, Seattle has done a great job from the beginning and it, it was very simple. They just follow the science. They let the medical experts establish the policy. They listened to them. They did the things, and they have a they have a local population that understood. And what I think is so interesting about that is overwhelmingly the majority of Americans, even Democrats, would never want to live in Seattle or San Francisco, and they look at it as a seedy, dirty place of uh, people on drugs and weirdos. But it's all, those are all phony and superficial attributes. I mean, you've got to look at the, the mind and the character of people. And, and they're the ones that knew how to cooperate and listen and get along. And they knew how to be flexible and not think that every single day, every single year, is going to be the same thing or has to be the same thing. You know, I mean, 2020 was a drag and a catastrophe, but that's part of life. And, um, but those places, uh, those are places where I think that you'll see mask wearing become a regular part of, um, uh, of life. But in the South, no way, man. And in, in the Midwest, forget it. I think maybe in Chicago, hmm. you'll see uh, you'll see more mask wearing. But other than that, um, and, and some people have argued that uh, what's what's going to happen is is that uh, we're going to forget about this as quickly as, as we can which is uh, which is sad because you can you can not dwell on something and you can move past something without forgetting about it and i was thinking of that slogan about 911 right 911 never forget and say like, how come our our government and the corporations want us to never forget 9-11, but everybody's eager to forget the pandemic. Well, never forget 9-11. So, want to take a guess at what I'm about to say, Dave? Um, uh, I'm clueless, man. <laughs> keep, keep the military budget high. I'll never forget uh, George W. Bush, I think the day after it happened or whenever he got around to being a ground zero, Time for Congress. That's the military budget. High as I want it. He put his hand above his head and everybody roared. <laughs> Keep that military budget high. Keep fighting wars. As long as that, you know, belligerent, aggressive behavior is the response, we don't want to forget the event that triggered the response. But what we needed to do during the pandemic was the opposite of that. Bombs and guns aren't going to kill the coronavirus, right? We needed to use our brain. We needed to cooperate. We needed to show compassion. 
We needed to put others above ourselves, and we needed to see the, the, uh, the big picture and to understand that just because right now you can't do the same in, incredible feats of freedom, like go get a haircut, uh, that you take such pride in as un-American. Um, uh, um, but I think I think it is uh, I think that it's excellent hypothesis to see if mask wearing will uh, become integrated, normalized in the culture. And I think that you can look at whether that happens or not by extension of that as a way to infer if any kind of cultural change for the better has happened. The other thing I would say is is when I think about the um, mask wearing, I think that since that's associated with Asian cultures, and there's just been such a uh, backlash and this horrible uh, bigotry against Asians, um, that I, I think that that might be another reason to compel people not to wear masks, right? Just, just like, I'm not gonna, I don't believe in social security, because that's the Soviet Union, I'm not going to wear a mask because that's China. Yeah. Or um, that's where, that's where the good, Kung flu came from. A good transition to uh, the Japanese uh, health system collapse. At least it's under strain. Yeah, uh, uh, well, in, 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 uh, in Osaka, the second largest city, and the doctors are saying, look, you've got to cancel the Olympics. Yeah. You know, our, our hospital yeah. system is... is is teetering on collapse and it's just uh, the this business mentality that america has exported and i think in some ways just imposed on the rest of the world i mean what could be worse during a pandemic than to have an international sporting event hmm. i mean it's the perfect way for well, uh, and it's also it's also just kind of strange because like no foreign people can come to it. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it doesn't seem like it's the same thing anyway. Uh, it wouldn't be as good or feel like it was an international thing when people can't come even come to see the goddamn thing. Right. Uh, Uh, who was it? Sabrina Williams. Uh, she was Sabrina, not Sabrina. Sabrina. <laughs> um, Williams, the uh, you know the uh, tennis star, was saying that she wasn't sure if she was going because you know she didn't. She wanted her young daughter to be with her. I think like, and so she wasn't going to go. She's not hasn't decided yet. I think that's the current state of things. Is like most people are still on the fence, like the whether or not they're going to cut. Like the big stars, they're not committing yet. <laughs> and I mean, it's only like what is it? It's like a just a few weeks away. So it's a couple. Yeah, months. I mean, about a month. Uh, just late a month. June, early July. Wow. And the other thing that I think is a big story with. Um, uh, having the Summer Olympics in Osaka, and it, it ties into climate change, 
is the incredible heat. And uh, I think just yesterday I read about how there were some uh, marathon runners in China who collapsed. And then um, you had uh, in 2019, there were uh, women's World Cup games that had to be postponed because they had two record heat waves in France within a week. And uh, that's another thing people insist on being oblivious to and so that yeah i mean some people go many things it would be this. it would be much better for people that like the um uh you know wrecks to occur during a car race exactly much, much better for that excellent comparison <laughs> let's let's go watch the olympics so we can watch people pass out <laughs> and collapse i want to see some toughness i want to see people the grinder, <laughs> you gotta want it. You gotta be tough. He just wasn't strong enough. Right. It's uh, the fittest. Yeah, um, the, the the inversion of the fittest, and this is something I don't know if I uh, wrote this down or not. Uh, this is more kind of a abstract intellectual point, but the idea of a catastrophic uh, devolution. And so you have the idea of evolution, right? Where over time, the species becomes stronger, uh, smarter, faster, healthier, uh, because the, the, the best genes are the ones that survive. And so the, the ones that don't have the, the, the stronger genes don't uh, replicate and pass on. And so the idea of, uh, of catastrophic evolution is that evolution doesn't just happen incrementally, very, very slowly over generations, over thousands of years, but it can also happen very quickly, right? That uh, say, for example, if, if suddenly uh, society is able to have uh, plentiful food, um, then you're, you're going to see um, pretty significant increases uh, in height, right, and uh, bone strength. So, but what I'm considering here, and you could think about it, uh, say, with the loss of pigment, that, I mean, how does one explain that in Northern Europe and in Scandinavia, you have people who are fair-skinned and blonde, whereas most of the world, and certainly the world that is closer to the equator, you don't see that type of person. I mean, I, am I stereotyping, or is this an <laughs> accurate description of human demographics? All right. I would, I would say that it's accurate, right? So the same thing can happen with your brain, with the human brain and intelligence. And I think it gets back to mass media because what mass media did is it made it where people no longer had to think. Before mass media, even if you weren't that smart, even if you didn't think very well, you still had to think because there was just no other source to get an idea. I mean, maybe you had the little house on the prairie church 
but that's still not mass media. It's just one person and a fairly small room and you're it, it's not ubiquitous it's not 24 7. now we still have people who think we still have human beings who think but only because they choose to think only because they're disposed to it they enjoy it they believe in it it becomes intuitive to them but but i really believe that uh, the masses in the 21st century don't think because they don't have to and so it's a use it or lose it proposition and it doesn't take very long because we're at least two or three generations now into having mass media if you think about radio and television really coming around in the late 40s early 50s i mean we're three generations into that and so you just have all these people where I don't really want to have my own ideas. So you can just have constant entertainment. Or if you're inclined to being uh, political, you just watch your television show or look at your favorite internet sites and they provide you with the talking points and the counterpoints. But you don't have to do any of it yourself. And so what happens is, is that when the skill of thinking becomes dropped from the culture, there is, uh, there is a corresponding uh, biological loss, right? The, the biological mechanisms, the neurological cognitive uh, mechanisms of thinking also become lost. So, like, ba so basically, it's like a slow zombieism. But I'm uh, saying it's not slow. I'm saying, I'm saying that it's catastrophic, oh, okay. not incremental. So it happens pretty quickly. I mean, if so we could, we could all be eating brains because our, we need more brains. Uh, our brains are smaller. We need more brains. So we have to eat brain. So everybody that's will a, that's be, a, that's a fun and twisted way to, <laughs> to look at it. But, but I'm, I'm really not kidding. I mean, I, I really think that a big part of the problem, like how do you explain, well, how do you explain 2020? How do you explain the, the, the insurrection? I mean, how do you explain that you wind up with a president who says, uh, eat detergent? I mean, that's the kind of thing that you would have expected to have heard in the 14th century when, about, when the plague was going around. I, I mean, seriously, how, how do you explain th this behavior? I mean, it's clearly this deliberate uh, intent of, of, of not thinking. Now, I, I think that the, the one uh, question mark to this theory is, uh, do you agree with the idea that before mass media came along, that people had to think? Uh, I mean, I guess that's the one thing that, that's, that's open to, to debate. But I just don't see how you could function because you had to do everything for yourself, right? I mean, you had to know how to mend a fence. You had to know how to... Um, put a horseshoe on a horse. You had to know how to uh, maintain things in, in your own life. I mean, there was nothing was automated. There was no way just to push a button or uh, just show up somewhere and get something. Hmm. So, the, so your brain was in use, and that's that's the crucial thing. Like it doesn't matter that you whether you can perform at a high level. 
you could you could have a family and the family is not all that bright right they don't think well but at least they were thinking and the 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 next generation was just a little bit better brain was a little bit livelier than the previous one but now you you have uh, it's just like brain death like voluntary brain death yeah I, i'm not really I, w- I wouldn't think that it's a physical thing um i would i would think it's pretty much as far as the human genome I, I, it would be hard to 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 say but I think that pretty much if you brought, say, for instance, you brought a uh, human from Paleolithic times and suddenly plopped them, or maybe, Paleolithic maybe, say, and brought them here. uh, Right. um, I I think it would, the baby would basically be the same human, uh, more or less, almost certainly very similar, grow up just the same. Because they would be inculcated with the language and the culture from birth when you absorb it all, and it'd be the same thing. So I, I really wonder if, uh, you know, because when you're using the terms like evolution, you're kind of getting more into the scientific realm of uh, is the brain somehow shrinking and becoming? We wouldn't necessarily uh, have stu- to stupid or stupid just because from some physical process right i mean that's we kind of assume the brain is the center of thought although it's it may be pushing it um somewhat that the rest of your nervous system is probably part of it well i said neurological and cognitive right right? neurological is the brain but cognitive is the brain and And your emotions and your senses yeah so i i kind of yeah i mean i kind of just uh the way I would um, frame what you're getting at is is, is there's a, cult, a cultural shift um, in society. Now, I, I, if you think about like an early early time, say, well, in your thesis, people were more self-reliant, and I guess that was true to a certain extent. Um, but of course, life was more simple. Uh, you don't have to go too far Paleolithic era. We were the hunter-gatherer people. That's pretty much all we did. You know? And I assume right. think, thinking occurred, but it was just kind of all centered around your survival based on you. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying you could go as back recently as the 19th century. Yeah. I mean, think about post-Civil uh, War. Mm-hmm. I think you still had to be significantly more self-reliant than you than you do today and just and on a really basic level of just if you were going to have a conversation with another human being if you were going to talk about anything you had to use your brain to do it and you don't have to do that anymore i mean it's just all here it is this is what to think regardless of whether it's an idea or position i would agree with or not like it's, you know, here it is, and you can uh, cut and paste, copy, share. Here are the talking points. So there's not really any thinking going on. It's 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 a weakened um, attribute or characteristic. Yeah. 
I kind of, I, my feeling is that if you, if you shift the culture of, if, if you were exposed, sort of like somebody, if you were exposed to, say, if you could move somewhere where there was still what you're talking about. I went to a hippie commune. Yeah, if you went to a hippie commune, man, and you had been raised in the other thing, you'd be able to get with it, man, and you'd be able to think really well, man. Um, well, that, that's just it. I, I, I totally disagree. I think if you took most people and you, you put them on a hippie commune, uh, they would just be like, I, I can't handle this. <laughs> they would freak out. You know, they would like, I, I, well, see, that's, we just, they, that's, they wouldn't mind. They would look but, at it as a, like as, as a nature retreat or something yeah. like they might. Sure. You know, I'll try to grow my but, own food but, and make, but my see, own this food is, food this is part of the hippie. This is part of the hippie plan, though. See, we we bring in these normies into our hippie thing, and if they freak out and can't get with it, we just kill them and eat them. That's what we have to do, uh, you know, to survive. I mean, uh, we're the we're the ones that have to survive here. Um, Got to make a better world. Kill the normies. Uh, um, you don't actually you don't you don't have to hit them. Uh, you, don't have to hit them. you don't have to kill them. It's uh it's a uh, zung su uh, subdue the enemy without fighting. So you bring him into this hippie life, and they just become totally subdued. Because, I mean, use it or lose it is is a real um, is a real phenomenon. I mean, people do not speak Latin, but originally that you know our culture came from. That's what people spoke. And you can't simply just turn off and, and turn on a skill set. If, um, if, if you don't maintain it, you lose it. Speaking of, of, of hippie, uh, have you seen uh, uh, once, once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Is that what it is? Or? Yeah. Yeah, you've seen that movie. Uh, one of my I, favorite I, I, films. I think it's a great film. Yeah, I thought it was... Very good. Although he, I'll bring up the issues possible right now, um, which was, um, you know, as far as a story, pretty good story, and you know, uh, good, good cinematography and um, pacing and color and shots and all that stuff is really great. And uh, there is the tension there because you know it's Sharon Tate and Polanski, and there's. Uh, right. The whole story looming in the background, and then of course he shifts the whole story at the end. Uh, right. And uh, but the thing that kind of bothered me somewhat was that you had the the heroes of the thing are basically right. these kind of John Wayne conservative types, right? Um, right. And uh, <clears throat> and the whole thing at there the end, they you know these fucking hippies, and they they kill the fucking hippies, right? So. Uh, you know, I, I kind of get the sense that, and there's this, but, and the, also in the background of the whole movie, I kept, kept thinking about Quentin Tarantino's close association with Weinstein, you know, <laughs> sure. and, and, uh, so it was kind of odd when he was, for instance, he, the, I think it was Steve McQueen character, and it was talking about how that Sharon Tate liked. Uh, somebody that looked like they were 12 years old. I thought that was interesting. You put it that way. 
because yeah, right that's, that's Steve McQueen talking to Goldie Hawn and and she says you know Sharon definitely has a has a type you know uh, short talented men who look like twelve year old boys. Uh, I thought that was a little odd considering that I mean the whole thing was that Polanski was the one who fucked the twelve year old or whatever it was in in uh, Switzerland and then couldn't come back to the United no, States. No, no, he fucked her there in California, his house. Oh. Uh, yeah, wow. you know, okay. that was the, that was the whole story that he, uh, right, but uh, I still think he got busted for that and he eventually couldn't come back to the U S cause he, I mean, I see, I do, right. I, I see your, your point. Uh, but I, I, see but, but, you're, but, you're, you're, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean, it was just basically, I got, I got the feeling that, um, that it was a more conservative film that I would have liked. Right. It was using this whole thing and smearing hippie culture as, basically being the Manson family is the kind of feeling that I got from, and, uh, you know, uh, well, it didn't, it didn't seem to be very positive light to the whole hippie culture thing. It was agreeing with the, I think largely false narrative that was started with the Helter Skelter book, um, that was on the, the prosecutor of Manson wrote this book called Helter Skelter. And, uh, right. and, and it was the whole theory that it was this, race war based called helter skelter and this whole thing whereas it might have just been a drug deal gone bad that was probably more uh likely as far as the thing but he made this because of his book the scenario was brought up and uh that so the the murder of of sharon tate was a drug deal gone bad yeah i think that's the more plausible uh uh deal with it because it was it was polanski had these a couple people living there in that house with Tate and they were like these hardcore druggies, you know, um, right. I think they're the ones that were killed, but, uh, uh, it was just kind of this weird, you know, the, there was definitely weird stuff going on. A lot of, um, questionable sex and orgies and, uh, young people and, and a lot of drugs. Uh, right, right. 60 stuff. I mean, that was definitely going on. Uh, right. But of course, but, that, that yeah. all happened because of how horrible the 50s were. You had this, this totally <laughs> yeah. miserable, yeah. this god awful, uh, incredibly conservative culture. And that's why you had all the runaways. I mean, uh, people yeah. like Tex. I mean, that whole family. Um, well, since I'm on it, I, you made some good points. But I think the problem is, is that you're dealing with minor points and, and minor details. I mean, there's one line in the whole film and it's early in the film where Rick Dalton looks at the uh, hippies on the street corner and says, you know, damn hippies. And then of course, at the, at the end, when he's drunk on margaritas, he goes out there and the, the car is making a lot of noise. He was like, you came here to smoke dope on a dark, dark road. Like, you know, get out of here. But that's two things that said in the entire film. And, and here's why I think here's a big thing that I think you're missing is Sharon well, Tate. And, and I, I killed those fucking hippies. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't more than that. But anyway. Well, but here's the thing. Sharon Tate, who is clearly represented uh, in a positive light, is, sure. is, a, is a hippie. Right. I mean, she's she's barefoot. She puts her feet up at the movie theater. She listens to the all the groovy '60s music. She gives the hitchhiker 
uh, a ride. The hitchhiker is definitely a hippie. So I think I think that it it definitely uh, shines a, a light on the that uh, positive aspect of the counterculture. Uh, the other thing is is that it it definitely does a good job of showing the the Manson family people as as so obviously not hippies. Uh, like when they go diver uh, uh, diver uh, dumpster diving. Um, and they're walking back, you know, they, they look solemn and unhappy and, and beaten down. I mean, it, it's such a it's such a clear contrast to um, it's such a clear contrast to um, the the uh, peace and love and the and the happiness and the, the joy of Woodstock and, and, and the counterculture. Right. And then but, the other thing. And, and, and that, but that, this, let me finish. But, but the other thing yeah. is. Um, if, if the movie were doing the things that you're kind of saying it was doing, and this is one of, one of the things that I think is a great thing about the film is that Charles Manson is hardly even in it. I mean, he mm. knocks it off. He, they, they see each other for a little bit. You see him. And then that's it. I mean, he's not even there when Cliff well, goes to the, uh, yeah. and uh, he, the, he was, he wasn't, at, he wasn't at either house when the murders occurred. Uh, Right. So in, in that sense, it's in, more in the real world. making a, a fairly accurate uh, statement about like what happened in terms of, of his actual presence and influence. But I don't think that the film is at all interested in um, depicting the hippies or counterculture in a negative light. Uh, I want to bring up a really good point that you made years ago about Pulp Fiction that I think is this is the way to look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is it's about the redeeming quality in human beings, right? Like Cliff maybe probably killed his wife and he's a down and out stuntman, but he's a great friend and he is a hero. I mean, he, he kills uh, serial killers. He kills people who otherwise would have killed him, killed uh, Francesca, the, the newlywed wife of, of his good buddy. Um, and and with uh, with uh, Rick Dalton, right? I mean, he's this down and out actor. He's a has been. He's he uh, he's all uh, uh, depressed, and but then he starts to feel better about himself because he realized Polanski is his, his neighbor. And then, of course, you know, while Cliff, like the stunt man, is doing the dirty work, who gets to have the the big great moment? Well, it's you know Rick out there with his flamethrower, right, and gets to finish yeah. off the crazy woman uh, in in the pool. But, and the other but, thing is, just because the main characters themselves are not hippies, and if you think about how it fits in chronologically, I mean, these people are now uh, in the early parts of middle age, uh, of being middle aged. So they're a little too old. You can't really blame them for the fact that they didn't. Uh, now, th- 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 this is one of the, it reminded me when you mentioned the flamethrower uh, that this this was another thing that kind of showed that I think that he feels more negatively about. Uh, hippie culture because what what happens with the flamethrower? Well, the first thing you see, he he torches, burns alive a bunch of quote Nazis, right? And that's a, of course a good thing. And what 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 does right. he do at the end? He he burns up some quote hippies. Uh, I mean, that's what the quote is in the movie. Is that, you know, I burn this hippies, you know. So there's equivalence there, and I I I, I swear I think it's there. You know, I think. That there's this cultural thing uh, 
that uh, a disdain, even in the quote left Hollywood circles, that just doesn't you know hates hippies. Hear it all the time. Hear my brother. Hear my brother say it all. I hear my brother say it all the time. Uh, well, now I, I wouldn't disagree with the fact that there is, is disdain for uh, hippies in the counterculture, not just in Hollywood, but but in the United States. I mean, that's a point. That's a big point that I've made that you have challenged, right? That the the crux of America's problems today is that it rejected the counterculture. It rejected the counterculture as the next zeitgeist, the next movement in in uh, in human civilization right peace and love so when when you reject peace and love you know then what happens well you you get war and hate right and we can't seem to find our way uh, out of it um but yeah and and quentin tarantino has gone out of his way especially in that um uh, movie the uh the one where it was the revenge hitler uh you know basically the burn up hitler and all his entourage, uh, the dirty, right. dirty dozen or whatever, uh, you know, yeah, basically right. over and over again, celebrating how good it was to kill Nazis. You know, this is said over and over again, and it's said in all the stars and stuff. How good it was to kill Nazis, you know, and uh, right. so the, the whole, the whole, so the whole violent, the whole violent thing is uh, celebrated, and uh, and a de- dehumanizing of quote the Nazi. You know, what the fuck does that mean? Like in the movie, it's just like obvious that any anybody that has a swastika on is a subhuman that should be murdered. You know, have their head bashed in with a baseball bat. You know, so I really think that uh, Tarantino has this attitude about violence, and it's not just uh, uh, some kind of poetic thing. He likes it. Uh, well, I mean, Pulp Fiction is definitely full of, of violence, right? Mm-hmm. I remember us having conversations about that movie in, in 1994, where mm-hmm. all of the people, the, all of the conservatives who didn't like it, you know, just thought that, that it was just this, you know, crude, uh, you know, hedon, uh, hedonistic uh, pastiche of, of all this unsavory behavior, you know, hitmen, people doing heroin, uh, the you know the the boxing the boxer kills the 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 uh, the other fighter. But I've got to say that I mean as an artist, uh, one has to demand that you can you can represent uh, people the way that you really feel them and see them. And the the fact is, I mean, the violence is a part of life. And I don't sure. think that because any film or story has violence yeah. in it that it necessarily glorifies it, but it's just trying to say, this is something we all have to face. We have, at some point, everybody knows what life and death is about. And and everybody has has, has to face it. And so if you, if you don't let yourself do that, you get boxed into having to represent something to to making uh, art that is flaccid and, and, and artificial. And the, the thing that I, that I really, again, where I would, just, I would disagree with your interpretation of the film, although if I'm hearing you correctly, you still say that you, on the whole, liked the, the movie mm-hmm. and you thought it was pretty good, but you sure. had your objections to it, and that's fine. But I still think that, uh, like, let's just take Cliff, the, the stuntman, for a moment. He really is not a violent person. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. thing that I really like about his character is that he is a, he is a good friend. I mean, he doesn't spend his time 
going out and being the shit out of people. Like the, the first time we see Cliff be violent is when he goes to the Spawn Chicken Ranch. He wants to, and why does he do this? I mean, does he want to bang the, you know, pussycat? No, he's using her to check on his friend, right? So he actually cares about this other person. He wants to make sure he's okay, that he's still alive, right? And then uh, what, what does he want to do? What does Cliff want to do? All he wants to do is, is get out of there, right? But then they're, they're jackasses and they stick a knife in his tire. But even then, he basically keeps his school. He was like, problem is, you know, it's not my car, it's my boss's car. Fix it. And then when the scraggly guy, and, and another thing that I would disagree agree with you on is that it's, it's plain as day to me that the film does a really good job of representing those people at the chicken ranch. They are not hippies. They are serial killers who use the counterculture as a cover to hide what they're doing. Because none of those people strikes me in the least as being like a hippie. And then, well, I mean, how about, I mean, you said he's a nonviolent person. I mean, he, that was one of the things that he killed his wife. Right. And it's pretty well, unambiguous that, that a, sure. That he was, was, he was driven it to it because his wife was a bitch. Right. Cause they showed the story where she's being mean to right. it. And, right. But I mean, let me ask you a question. If you were in his shoes at the end of the movie, right. And the, these two people like blast into your home, they've got a yeah. gun, they've got a knife and this, somebody else at the other back door, what would you do? Well, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, sure, I, I give the poetic license that the, uh, the large part of the whole scene is to like re- a revenge scene, kind of like then the dirty, do- or what is it, the whatever dozen, the dirty whatever, uh, that other anyway, movie was about the Nazis. Yeah, right. I mean, in a similar vein is, you know, uh, a revenge story to to change the story that the people uh instead of them killing sharon tate they they're the ones that got killed and horribly you know and they got bashed in but i i also think that it's um it it also says that you know if if someone comes in your house that you don't like and they uh uh yeah this is part of the gone culture is that you know you should you should kill them you should have a have a gun under your pillow and if anybody comes in your house well, unauthorized you kill them around the question it's not just saying if somebody if somebody you well like, would i get a flame would i get a flamethrower out no i don't think you know, i mean would i sit there and go out of my way and bashing in everybody's face and you know i don't think you know i kind you, you know that's obvious you would just let them kill you well, I might defend myself, but um, um, yeah. But, I mean, first, first of all, yeah, I think you have the right to defend yourself, but right. there, there is, there is a definite culture, uh, and this can't be denied. And maybe, maybe it's just, uh, you know, all his depictions of violence are just totally neutral and doesn't mean at all that he likes it you know, and thinks it's a good thing to be violent. Um, I think there's a certain, in my opinion, there definitely is that. And he's been explicit about it, especially that last film with the Nazis. He said that, you know, Nazis should be killed. And, uh, you know, bash him in the head. You know, he likes the idea. So uh, I don't, I, I can't think, I don't think you can get around the fact that he likes it. So that's all right. I mean, a lot of people do. Um, and, but I can appreciate this. I like the story. I love 
idea that uh, it didn't happen. And, Sharon Tate lived. Oh, they, yeah, and th- these assholes got you know got got to right. come up with so revenge was there. Um, right. I mean, uh, that, that's his there, thing. There is a season. I mean, I think that a person yeah. can do something violent without yeah. being a violent person. Sure. I mean, and, and the other thing is, if you if you look at the story as it, it has a happy ending because the you know this beautiful talented woman who was eight months pregnant doesn't get butchered, right? You have to ask yourself, well, why is it a good thing? Because Sharon Tate is represented as a hippie. She's represented as peace and love hippie chick. I mean, and I'm just that's the one like a uh, detail that I brought up, which I think is a, is a uh, more pervasive detail in, in the storytelling than just the, the things that the minor things that you've pulled on, which is, do, would you agree that Sharon Tate is represented as a hippie? You know, I guess so. I mean, she wasn't, um, she seemed to be right. allied with it. Hanging yeah. out with the mamas and the papas at the, at yeah. the Playboy mansion. Right. I mean, she's she's sure. chilled out. She's groovy. She's she's barefoot. She picks up the hitchhiker. And by the way, the, the the first time I saw it, when she picks up the hitchhiker on the way to Westwood, um, I'm thinking, oh, this is the beginning of like everything's going to fall apart. You know, she's going to get killed, and then Cliff is going to go to the chicken ranch. He's going to get killed, and then what's going to happen to Rick Dalton? You know, that's what you get for letting yourself you know, no longer be a leading man and get beaten up in fights. But So what I would say is, if you agree that Sharon Tate is represented as a hippie, then the movie definitely holds hippie culture up in a good light. And, and, it, and it does so uh, also by showing the, how fake and sort of the inverted or upside down, um, the, the opposite of that is the, the Manson family. And, um, a violent person is somebody that goes out and seeks, you know, violence. And the, the whole history of Nazis in the World War II is everybody did everything they could not to kill them until they were left with no choice. I mean, they let they let them do they let them take over uh, Czechoslovakia and Austria and eat up little parts of other territories. And it was this went on for a decade. And then finally, they, like, we have to stop this. And, and if you're going to stop uh, people who are murderers, unfortunately, the only way you can do it, regardless of what Gandhi or anybody else says, is you do have to kill them. There's just no other way to do it. Well, I, I mean, we can't answer won't stop. You have to start, uh, the show's kind of getting a little long, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as the history there, I mean, um, you could also say, well, there were plenty of points where it could have been stopped way before, you know, and yes, should have been done way before, and it wouldn't have been so violent, right? If, you're, uh, you are correct. Then that's that's very early on. Big right. argument in the beginning of the Gathering Storm is that it didn't have to be this way, and he kept Churchill kept telling uh, the the liberals and in the, the British Parliament, like, you've got to stop this, you've got to do something. Uh, because the, it all started with, with Hitler building uh, his military and, and exceeding the, the limits imposed after World War I. And they all looked the other way. But if you think about what you're saying, 
you're whether you realize it or not, I think that you're supporting my argument is that when you try these other methods, right, negotiation, um, capitulation, whatever it is, with some people, it doesn't work. And then you have to kill them. Right. Uh, I mean, the, the tragedy of World War II is basically we embraced total war where we bombed the shit out of their cities, you know, and just labeled the entire German population, quote, Nazi, right? And they should all be killed. Right. Uh, they're all equally. We hate it. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, even though we did this, quote, we just took it way too far, all this violence. It didn't even have to have been done that way at all. Absolutely. Uh, they're, and, they're, and we've gone from the country that, that waited a full two years before we finally got into World War II to the country that now seems eager to start wars and, and reluctant to end them. And, and so my critique of Tarantino's violence is that instead of, you know, basically the revenge things or that, you know, you have to go all the way into revenge. You have to like uh, bash some lowly little uh, Nazi soldier's head in with a bat, baseball bat, you know, like a total psycho because that's just what we do now, you know. So what you well, got to do with these Nazis. Again, to, to, to go and, back to Once Upon a Time in, in, in Hollywood, I, I think, you know, the revenge is simply thematic because historically you know what happened in real life and so 50 years later you can relive right. it with a happy ending. But as far as the actual uh, end of the movie, there isn't any revenge going on. It's pure self-defense. You know, they knock on the wrong door. It's a, it's a stuntman. It's a war hero. I mean, he is not afraid of them. And, it's, and, and so that's what makes it such a, a delightful situation of, it, would it have been great if this had worked out? I mean, if somebody was going to die that night, would you rather have been these three worthless people or... Uh, Sharon Tate, you know, I, and I would say that the people that had nothing better to do than let's go kill some people, those are the people who should die. I mean, it's, you're not a violent person because you're just sitting in your home. Oh, I'm glad I remembered this. I, there is, there's a major element and factor, especially in that climax that strongly shows that, that, that Cliff, Cliff at least, and, and Cliff and Rick aren't totally just non-hippies, and that's the fact that Cliff is open open to the uh, cigarette dipped in LSD, right? I mean, they were they were letting it have some influence on them, right? Especially Cliff. You know, that's one of the great parts of that scene is he takes the he smokes the you know LSD cigarette and he goes and walks his dog, and he comes back and he's putting the dog food in. And I mean, that's the thing. Like if those people don't break into his home, what's he going to do that night? He's going to, he's going to freak out. He's going to trip and then they'll wake up the next morning and, you know, uh, Rick will be hung over and Cliff will be like, Oh man, well, you know, I smoked that cigarette, but you know, they, he, they come in and, and, and they're going to, they're going to kill him. And he's just like, you know, he's not going to let them do that. I don't know what else that character, well, I don't know what other choice that character had in that situation. Okay, well, you're obviously a strong thumbs up. I'm a halfway thumbs up. Still have my questions. So. 
Well, right, man, what we should do at we, some point, man, is uh, maybe we could we could both watch the film again because I love it. It's one of my favorite films. We could watch it again and we could talk about it again. Okay. All right. All right, man. Let's move on out. All right. For uh, David V. Miller, this is Dr. Dave Overby, and you've been listening to the Oblivion Podcast. See you down the trail. <laughs>